Ladies and gents, uh, the astute among you may notice that um, I only released an episode like a week ago and already I'm doing another one, which is a bit unusual, but I have just got off of doing an interview with somebody and there's literally no way I can contain this until the end of next month because it's fucking brilliant. I am on a ludicrous high right now. I've just spoken to somebody who is one of my childhood heroes. You Like, oh, I can't even form sentences anymore. <laughs> insane um i've just been talking to the one and only legendary voice actor rob paulson who is well you'll know him from the original 80s turtles cartoon as raf uh, the current nickelodeon one as donny he's been in biker mice from mars animaniacs as yakko and pinky from pinky in the brain and dr otto von scratch and sniff anyone um he's been in the tick he's been in the land before time he was the mask i mean he's if you imdb that guy there is a list so freaking long he is crazy talented but on top of that he's like possibly one of the nicest people i've ever spoken to in my life (laughs) i've come out of this interview feeling so much better about myself than i did when i started it he's so wonderful so i'm just going to shut up rambling and say guys just bask in the glory that is this chat with rob paulson How are you, Stacey? Not too shabby. I am incredibly impressed that this uh, this microphone worked because it's a shiny new one. And I thought, imagine if the first person I call with it is somebody amazing and he can't hear a word I'm saying. Oh, I can hear you fine, my darlings. Oh, that's splendid. That's bloody perfectly. Oh, Absolutely. lovely. <laughs> lovely jubbly. No, listen, um, it sounds great. And actually, I'm using – you're the first um, – Skype call I've had on, I've got a brand new computer, and so I was setting it up last night, making sure everything worked, so how about that? The first time we try it, everything is, is lovely, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I'm, I'm always so flattered that anybody pays attention to what the hell I have to say, and, and you're so, you've been so sweet, and, uh, and your, your podcast is adorable. Uh, it's just... Oh, <laughs> you're going to make me shed a little, a little happy tear. <laughs> Sure, you're so. You just guys are so excellent. Really, it, just adorable. And um, so I, uh, you know, the whole thing about what I do and have done for thirty odd years is is really about to me is about you know passion and happiness and joy and laughter and all that. And so mm-hmm. uh, uh, it, it really is that simple. And and you definitely convey an incredible joy for pop culture. 
you and the fo- your uh, your um, partner in crime there. You're so just absolutely adorable. So thank you very much, not only for doing your work, but taking the time to chat with me about mine. I really appreciate it. Oh my God, you've just absolutely made my day. <laughs> Honey, it's my... Oh, crumbs. I tell you what, I uh, I was just going to say all of that to you, and now it's not going to sound as genuine because you beat me to it. It's a bit rude of you. Thanks. Well, I've already been drinking. It's early here, but I figure why not start, you know. Oh, see, that's not very fair. I'm, I'm doing the whole dry January thing. Oh. So I've just been sitting here, like, nervously shaking for about two hours. <laughs> I tell you what, I, one of these days I'm going to, I've had the good fortune of being, uh, of working over in the UK twice, but I've not been for gosh, 10 years. So one of these days I'll get over there and show you that I am, I am just about <laughs> the most unimpressive, unassuming middle-aged white guy you'd ever want to meet. So the only thing about which you should be shaking is maybe the fact that you're detoxing. But apart from that, there's no other reason you should be shaking. Not, not in terms of talking to me. It's, uh, I'm just a, a little, a bit of a whack job, but uh, that's very sweet of you, and I am happy to, uh, as I say, answer whatever questions and do whatever you want, or, um, and whenever you're, you want to go and fire. Oh, by the way, what song did you pick? Oh, God. Do you know what? I'm still I'm down to two now, and I'm thinking maybe I'll just put one at the start and one at the end of the episode. So, you know, I'm, I still don't know. See, the thing is, right, I tried to be all clever and internet sleuthy and even try and figure out like what kind of music you might even slightly like. Do you, like, ever talk about music? Because I can't find even a single reference on the well, internet. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I do a little bit. I, I, I'm a, I grew up a, a big part of my performing background was being in rock and roll bands, and so... Mm. Um, I'm a big rock and roll fan, but I remember when I was a kid, um, you know, like most people, I, or my, most people my age, it was the usual suspects, you know, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, The Who, mm-hmm. Emerson, Lake and Palmer, yes, you know, but of course a lot of American stuff too, Steely Dan and uh, all of that good stuff. But I, I, I uh, to the, and, and so I think I've maybe done half a podcast, half a dozen podcasts on which I've had characters sing because people seem to really get a kick out of that. I mean, I've had... I mean, people know about, you know, United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, and all that stuff. And and they enjoy that. And I love doing the live Animaniacs music. And we can talk about that. I've got all sorts of cool live music stuff coming. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I've had a couple of my characters sing some of my favorite artists. Like I had Pinky sing uh, some Zeppelin tunes. And I had Carl singing um, Pink Floyd. And I had uh, Yakko sing uh, uh, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting and a couple of other things, you know. Um, so people kind of dig that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I was just, I thought to myself, well, gosh, you know, I, I can tell you a zillion favorite songs, but I thought it'd be fascinating for somebody who is very sweet and says, I like your work. And I thought, well, it would be really interesting to hear what a beautiful young girl from the UK would, would, would think would be a, uh, an appropriate song that would, uh, elicit thoughts of, uh, of my character. So I don't care what you pick. I appreciate you putting the time into it. That's very kind of you. Oh, bless you. Well, I tell you what, the the three that I was down to yesterday was Birdhouse in Your Soul by They Might Be Giants, Candy Pop by Biss, which is a song that very few people know, but I think is ridiculously fun, which is why it made me think of you, and um, Magic Carpet Ride by Steppenwolf, because that's just one of my favorite songs. <laughs> Great. I remember when that record came out. I, I, was, I was in probably... Oh, gosh, I don't know, 10th or 11th grade. Uh, well, I was probably 13 or 14 when that album came out. So, yeah, I told that all great choices. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm really been falling in love with a couple of bands that I, I, I try to listen to new music whenever I can because mm-hmm. I, I love new 
uh, new artists, whether they're voice actors or, and uh, whatever. I just love them. And so uh, uh, there's a band from the UK. I think I think they're from up north. I don't know, but they're a band called the 1975. Are you familiar with them? Vaguely. Yeah, they, I really enjoy them. The, the singer has got such an interesting tone and very, very uh, – his whatever – accent or dialect he had this very thick and often you know folks lose their dialects when they sing it's really quite fascinating but this guy's very clear i mean i can understand him it's not like he's a glaswegian and i can't understand a bloody thing but but it's a very interesting sound yeah their interest they're great um i love uh i love kings of leon i love uh um fallout boy i like uh Vampire Weekend, mm-hmm. um, all of, you know, a lot of that stuff. But there's just so many. With the advent of the internet, there's a new record every day, and I, I you know, I can't, I can't keep up with that. But, but uh, anyway, I'm rambling, and I, I do appreciate you, uh, you doing that. Any of the one of those songs or would be lovely. So, oh, perfect, splendid. perfect. Place. <laughs> Thank you very much. I did put so much thought into that; it was crazy. I am, um, yeah, maybe I might have overthought it a little bit, but I think it's because have you, um, like when me and my husband when we got married, trying to pick a song for our first dance, it's like the, oh. the hardest thing in the world because there were so many songs that we thought that's beautiful, that is, and then you listen to the lyrics and it's actually about I don't know stalking someone until that you murder them, and you're like, what? <laughs> No, I, I know, and, and when you know, one of the bands I was in when I was a kid was basically a, uh, a wedding band. When I wasn't doing rock and roll gigs at a club, you know, you make extra money by working at, at weddings, and of course, every wedding had to have the first dance. And uh, uh, and, and in those days, nine times out of ten, it was a song by Chicago called "Color My World," mm-hmm. and it was the most insipid, sappy. <laughs> you know, and I understand. I'm I'm a hopeless romantic. Don't get me wrong, but. I understand why people used it, but then you think, um, uh, particularly with the impetuousness and the, and the precociousness of being a youngster, you kind of go, "Are you fucking kidding me? You're gonna sit, you're gonna have me, you're gonna have us do this song." I just did a wedding last weekend. They did that one, and the wedding next weekend, they said, "Oh, please do color my world." Come on, there are zillions, and and there are a million songs from the '30s, '40s, '50s, and '60s that would be great, you know. Um, but so I appreciate the fact that you take some time and, and put some thought into it. And I understand why you would be, especially as a creative person, why you would say, well, look, I don't want to, you know, I've, I've married this wonderful guy. I don't want to go and just do what everybody expects me to do. I want to think about this. And it's an important thing. So good for you for not choosing, <laughs> you know, a run of the mill song. And I, and I understand your pain. The number of people that suggested to me um, more than words by extreme, because I don't think people realize that that song is actually about a man who doesn't believe his, his wife loves him anymore. <laughs> I was like, that's not the message we want to send. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. There, there's uh, there are so many of them out there. I, and I, I mean, there are songs that to this day, uh, maybe eight bars can bring me to tears because I just, I love that music or poetry or, or um, uh, whether it's a lyric or, or just a, a passage of music, a particular chord progression that it has that kind of power. And I think when, you are choosing something as important as your, you know, first dance for your hopefully your only wedding. That is, uh, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so good for you for, for spending some time at it. That's great. Rich did um, shoot down my original choice though of the Mario Kart love song. Oh yeah, right. Well, that's one. I can tell you. That's one my son will probably pick. He's twenty nine and he's engaged. He is actually he's in Tokyo right now working for uh, 
Shifty Look, which is a, a company owned by Bandai Namco, who does, uh, you know, Pac-Man and, yeah, and yeah. a big video game. Anyway, he's in Tokyo for a couple of weeks and he's a, he's a, he reviews video games for uh, examiner.com and they fly him around the world. And he also does a lot of copy editing for Udon Books out of Toronto. But anyway, he's, he's doing his thing. He's living his dream, but he is a gaming, uh, you know, self-professed gaming geek to the bone and 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 probably like you is a complete expert and really is. And I remember that when my uh, when my um, son was little. Oh, by the way, are we recording? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. I can cut out anything you want afterwards because I'm a bit of a meticulous editor. So I'm gonna go off and, and make it difficult for you later. And I'm I'm I'm. Uh, ha- is this okay just to keep talking? Yeah, absolutely. Um, welcome to the parlor, by the way. <laughs> oh, sweetie, I appreciate that. <laughs> I remember uh, I'm actually sitting in the room in which I used to come and I, you know, my kid would be playing video games and I say to my wife, God, you know, I mean, I, I know it's part of his culture and what he's into and all that. And, and he goes outside and plays with his friends and does all that kind of stuff too. But he's really spends a lot of time doing video games. She said, you know, if you spend some time watching him, he's really, really good at them. And he really loves reading who designed the game. Uh, he was a big fan of, of, uh, um, oh gosh, uh, the Final Fantasy and Chrono Trigger and, and all these heavy-duty RPG games with lots of great music and sweeping scores, and often the people who composed the music for those video games 15 years ago are now composing film scores. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was very aware of them, and he used to go to the Disney Concert Hall here in L.A. and see evenings of video game music. And so she said, you know, he's really good at this, and he's really into the whole process. This might be a way that, you know, like you, meaning me, you, you know, you were encouraged to follow your passion and be a, a performer. This might be, and she was right. And so, you know, last year he was in uh, Belarus for the opening of a video game. And the year before he was in Brazil and now he's in Tokyo and he works from home and he has a blast and, and, and he is, you know, doing essentially uh, what I ended up doing in terms of following something that was, he did for free. So he will probably have some, Mario, Nintendo, (laughs) 8-bit song playing as his, uh, you know, first dance. I'll have to, um, I'll have to tweet you a picture of our wedding cake, uh, because that was, um, we spent about six months collecting tiny uh, Mario Kart figures and had a had a Mario Kart theme cake instead. Sweet. What does your husband do? Um, we're both just working sort of admin job. Like we have a, we're one of. Okay, not to go off on on one about myself, but me and Rich are both the kind of people who have not actually decided what we want to do with ourselves yet. Told me, guess how old are? If I be, if I may be so bold, how old are you? How shocking! No, that's fine. Um, I am currently twenty eight. Okay, so you're basically the same age as my son. I totally get that. I have been, um, so fortunate in my life, Stacy, because. I knew pretty early what, that I wanted to be a performer. I didn't know I wanted to do cartoons because, as you can imagine, when I was, well, 10 years younger than you are now, um, I, I've been making my living performing since I've been about 17 or 18. So it's been a long time. And as you might imagine, I loved cartoons like everybody else, and I was terribly influenced by, I shouldn't say that, greatly influenced <laughs> by the people who did the work. But when I moved to Los Angeles, there were, you know, ABC, our network television and Saturday morning cartoons. We didn't have, you know, all the outlets for animation uh, and voice acting that there are now. Video games, podcasts, cartoons, animated features, 
uh, you know, um, uh, the, the internet shows. I do one called Bravo Man, which is actually what the, which the associate producer is my son for uh, for this company I mentioned, Shifty Look, and it's pretty funny. It's a, they, there was a character years ago in, in uh, there was that's still owned by Bandai Namco, Bandai Namco called Bravo Man a little 8-bit character, and they turned him into a, a cartoon series for the web. So there's another uh, opportunity to do that kind of work. But I knew very, at a very young age, that I wanted to be a performer. What I really wanted to be was a professional hockey player. Unfortunately, I learned very early on that you know, after some guy beat the living daylights out of me that I had no <laughs> any further in that regard. But oh, second best for passion was performing. and uh, and But I knew that when I was very young. And I have to say, I am really the exception. Most people, uh, my son included, are in your position. That is to say, they found something they love. They sometimes do it for the um, the most, the purest of reasons like you do. And I, and I do the podcast. I don't make any money on the podcast. I'm hoping someday to turn it into a TV show. But but it does, it's something, you know, that allows me to go do more personal appearances. And I love doing that and traveling around the world and talking about the work I've done, you know, for the last 30 years. But but often, you know, people in your age are, are they've sort of done with university, trying to figure out what to do. The economy globally is changing. There are all sorts of different opportunities to do your own gig. Um, and, and I'm telling you, it is both as an older person, I can see where it'd be relatively terrifying. Mm-hmm. But as a younger person, I can see where it can be uh, maybe a little bit daunting, but almost uh, it's almost like a you have so many choices, you don't know where to begin. You know, I mean, I, when I moved to Los Angeles, it was pretty clear I wanted to do TV and movies. That was like everybody else who comes here. And I did, started doing that. But, uh, and luckily the, the internet, I think because I'm, I have a child who is like you, very bright um, and, and helpful and all of that, I, I found that I could use the internet to my advantage to sort of reinvent myself and that there were literally millions of people who knew the work I did. They just didn't know it was me. And, um, and so now I'm having the time of my life doing things like I'm doing with you. But when you're a kid, and I mean that with all due respect, when you're a young person and you're, you kind of grew up with all of this, you go, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I've gotten my degree, but it really doesn't necessarily guarantee I'm going to make any money with it. And I don't really like what I got my degree in. And I know a friend of mine who does this, but that doesn't really make enough money. Or can I do that on the internet? Or there's e-commerce or there's you know, ebooks or uh, it's amazing. So, uh, having said all of that, I completely get and understand, you know, the position you're in. And I'm here to tell you as a guy, as a person old enough to be your father, it is, it is, it's an amazing thing that you are in the middle of. And, and you have, uh, just by virtue of, of spending some time talking to you and listening to your podcast and stuff, you're so bright. And, um, if you have, drive and you are uh, um, intelligent and you're willing to think outside the box, which most young people do, you're going to be fine. It's just a question of finding what it is that you'll, you'll probably find something that you really love to do and then turn away to make it into money, which is essentially what I've done. You know, you're making me blush so hard right now, by the way, I think uh, I'm so glad this is not a video podcast because you would be looking at a beetroot right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I, I, it's the truth because you're, um, there are a lot of people out there doing stuff and, and the internet is in, in my view, it's the best and worst of, of pretty much everything, pop culture, information. It is the clearly the last bastion 
of completely unfettered, uh, un, um, what am I trying to, unabridged free speech. So much so that in certain countries, you know, like North Korea and China, they, they don't allow people, their citizens to look at it. Um, but uh, it, that's good and bad. Because on the one hand, especially if you're looking up information, say you've got a health issue, you look up information and you could be scared to death because you've got a pimple on your nose that you just know is some rare kind of cancer that is going to kill you in five minutes. You just know it. And oh, yeah. I think the Internet is one of those things that it's just sort of like on the one hand, it has made life. I mean, for example, we wouldn't be doing this right now without it and I wouldn't be yeah. talking to like the legend that is you but at the same time it is literally like there is just too much to take in i find like apparently the um the rates of depression have gone skyrocketing since the advent of the internet because there's just too much information for people to like take in and, and handle well, which is I a would, bit distressing i wouldn't argue that at all i totally understand that because i, I you know i love the internet and it's helped me with my podcast and i have sixty thousand people all over the world a month or so, give or take, who listen to my podcast, which would not be at all uh, doable without, as you said, the technology. But boy, you you nailed it. I mean, you can get on there and just be so depressed. So somebody like you or my kid who are savvy, bright, and, and you know, you, you know what's crap and you know what's good. Um, and, and I realize good is subjective. But you know what's crap and you know what's creative. Let's put it that way. Even if you don't like it, you sound like the kind of person that could look at something and say, well, that's pretty interesting. It's not really my cup of tea, but I totally get what they're get doing here. Mm-hmm. And God mm-hmm. bless them. And you might be able to say, hmm, that really inspires me to try something. Oh, yeah, I get that. And and that's what what I've been doing uh, because it, 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 it sort of – it wasn't that it frightened me, the whole internet thing. It was just like I really don't quite know how to, to access um, this information to, to help me do stuff. Um, just a little bit of a of a background on kind of what we were talking about earlier, and that is that um, as a result of this incredible good fortune I've had for the last three decades, uh, I do, as you can imagine, a lot of personal appearances, which I love because I grew up doing live theater, live improv, live music, virtually like everybody who does what I do. And uh, maybe four years ago, after having done, you know, 2,500, almost half hours of animation, 1,000 or so commercials, and I don't know, 50 or 60 video games, and Lord knows what else, uh, and and Comic-Con for 17 or 18 years in a row and a bunch of other stuff. I was sitting around one day, and, and I thought, well, you know, I've done all of that. And I have an Emmy. I have Annie Awards. I have uh, some really lovely, uh, you know, just awards and, and trophies, whatever you want. All of that is great, and I'm not going to give them back. But frankly, the Emmy and $4 will get you a latte. You know what I mean? It's it's. Uh, uh, I, it was a great experience. I'm incredibly proud that I won it. It was a, a very accomplished field against which I I, uh, I competed at a really high level, and I did it. My folks got to see it on TV. It was great. Exactly what young actors do in the bathroom mirror while holding their hairbrush. You know, I'd like to thank the Academy and Steven Spielberg, and it was wonderful. But here I was, you know. I don't know, 15 years later or so, 10 years later after all of that. And I thought, okay, now what? I'm, I, my son has grown. I was lucky enough that my wife and I uh, had him when he was, when we were both quite young, about your age. As a matter of fact, I think I was 28 when he was born. So I'm still, I'm, I'm too young to retire. Uh, and I feel great. And so I started thinking to myself, well, you know, I, I, uh, there's this thing called podcasting. I don't really know what that's about, but I had a couple of friends that were doing it. 
checked it out. You know, of course, I knew all about iTunes and downloading music and all that technology. And I remember one day sitting there looking at my phone thinking, you know, people really get a kick out of it when I go do my personal appearances. And they ask me questions about not only my work, but about people I know, like Nancy Cartwright or, or John DiMaggio or Billy West or Jess Harnell or Tress McNeil or, or any of these incredibly gifted folks. Maybe I could do a podcast because I've, I've probably got 100 people on my phone from whom anybody that is interested in pop culture would want to hear. And the, you know what? I was right. And um, it's turned out to be such an incredible gas and it's opened up a whole new avenue of, of work for me that uh, does two things. It inspires me to do things exactly like we're doing right now. I get to talk with wonderful folks from all around the world who, who are more exposed to my work. And the biggest compliment I get virtually, and I have to tell you, it's every day now in my Twitter feed. And, you know, I'm, I'm not huge on Twitter, but I have 20,000 followers. And you know, they're all people who have been organic, who come on board and the one comment I hear from virtually everybody who comes on is, I had no idea. You are the voice of my childhood. You, <laughs> you, oh my God, you're Yakko, you're Pinky, you're Raphael, and now you're Donatello, and you're the mask, and you're on the tick, and ah, blah, 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 blah. And what I find is when I go do these personal appearances, as I said a bit earlier, it's not that uh, it, it's not that people don't know my work. I would, I could make the argument that almost anybody, at least in the English-speaking world, if you ask them about, say, the top five characters that I would probably be known for, everybody would probably know at least one of them. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean they're fans, but they would have heard of Raphael, Yakko, Pinky, Carl, Donatello. You know, they would have heard of it. Now, that's a big deal. And so as a result of... of taking the plunge and finding a way to make this work to my advantage and not being afraid of it, but embracing the change. Um, it's given me this whole incredible new, uh, view on, on, uh, how to get my message out and, you know, working on a book and trying to get my show on television and, uh, and, and regardless of whether it happens or not, the opportunity to do it is such a huge deal to a performer. And what it also does is makes me realize that, all the people whom I admire, we, we were talking about some of them earlier. My heroes are, are artists who have continued to perform at a really high level into their 70s. I mean, I look at, uh, at the Stones or at Pink Floyd, especially David Gilmour, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck. Um, you know, Led Zeppelin released a live album last year, two years ago, whatever, of them, you know, at the, uh, at the O2 Arena four or five years ago when they were all in their mid sixties, late sixties. And it's not about the money with those guys. Those guys don't need the money, but they continue to perform at such a high level. And if I can be so um, pretentious, it inspires me the way that hopefully I inspire you or other people. It's the same vibe. And it, and what is so exciting is it doesn't change. So the good news for young folks, and I'm talking about passion, I'm not talking about show business. Um, whatever it is you end up doing, you can find new ways to be inspired, even if you sort of go and do your own thing. And all of a sudden I come back and I think, wow, I was listening to Steely Dan the other day, you know, as I always do. And I thought Donald Fagan has been writing songs at such a high level for four decades. The Stones have been going on the road and selling out concerts for five decades. And 
that to me is 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 what it's about. I I have been rich and I've been poor, and rich is better certainly. But it's, it, it's really about the passion and finding new ways to be inspired. And so now I can't wait to continue to get my message out. And man, I'm telling you, I'm going to do 15 personal appearances this year, one of which will be about two weeks, 10 days in Australia. And I'm going to get, I want to get to the point where I can do at least one to do personal appearances a month uh, around the world. And, um, and I think I can do it because I know like folks like you, if there are, if there's you and your friends and your husband and the people who listen to your podcast, I would venture to say there are probably hundreds of thousands of people in the UK who know my work. And, um, uh, it, 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 I'm almost ready to stop my rant here, but let, this is one, this is one, um, <laughs> one important piece of this, of this whole, uh, this whole diatribe is that when I do get to go meet folks in large numbers, um, it is incredibly wonderful because all I have to do is walk out in front of 5,000 people and say, no. <laughs> Do you know, I had to actually say to my husband earlier that I really need to not shout naff because I do that just occasionally anyway. Particularly when I'm at work and I'm trying not to swear because my manager's there typing away. I'm like, ah, naff. <laughs> That's a great, naff off, you all. <laughs> That's a great way to, to get that out. But my point is that you did exactly what two people or 20,000 people do. When I say narf or when I say, hello, nurse, you do that. <laughs> you do that. And, uh, and I can't tell you how incredibly gratifying that is. Okay. So we, we know that we have a great time. I sing a few songs, answer questions. It is an incredibly gratifying, humbling, wonderful. And this is not false modesty. I can't even believe how lucky I am to do it after all these years. But what inevitably happens is the following. I will get three, four, five, a dozen people who will come to me, you know, and there's a, usually a, uh, an autograph line or something afterwards for a couple of hours. And I try to take a minute or two with everybody and take pictures and chat. And then what happens is that there will be several people who come along to whom the characters that I've been lucky enough to work on, and I completely understand, this is a collaborative effort. I don't write them and I don't draw them. I'm just an actor. But they identify the most with the voice because it, uh, nostalgia is an incredibly powerful emotion. And as I said at the beginning of our time together, it, it is all about happiness and joy and creativity and, and, and laughter. And these people will come up to me and often they're in tears. And, and it's, it's because they'll say, uh, I just have to tell you, you know, when I was 11 and my brother was eight, my parents went through a divorce. And the only thing that got us through it was Ninja Turtles. So when I hear you do Raphael, it reminds me of how much I love my brother and how much, how close we got as a result of that. Or my sister had leukemia and she had the most onerous, horrific treatments for six months. And we would sit in the hospital room with a video recorder and watch Pinky in the Brain. Or my father passed away last year, but he was in hospice. And the only thing he wanted to do was watch Animaniacs. Or now my son loves Ninja Turtles and you, and, and you are Donatello. So I get together with my boy every week and we watch an original episode of Ninja Turtles because I'm 34 and he's seven and we watch the new Ninja Turtles and he loves the old one and I love the new one and it brings, and how on earth can I, you can't put a dollar figure on that. It's not about ratings. 
It's not about action figures. It's not about money. It is about a pure expression of appreciation and love and joy for something that I did 20 years ago or even last week, but I had no idea. So now that I do, it's like a drug for me because I, I want to embrace that and, and experience as much of that as I can and get an opportunity to thank people in person because the truth is I'll only be able to do it for probably another 15 years, you know? Um, it's, it's very difficult to do that traveling, but I completely thrive on it. And I'm here to say to the folks who are going to be listening to this, man, thank you so much because I had no idea what those characters meant. And again, it's not just me. I'm one actor. So we all, all of us have it that are lucky enough to do this. We have that experience. But uh, when I have the opportunity to experience that in person, oh my God, it, it takes the why I do what I do to a completely different level. It, it just transcends all of it. And it just reinforces the passion for me to do what I do. So I think, um, I think I'm going to have to make it my mission to get a UK convention to get you over because I feel like I need to pounce on you and give you a massive hug while shouting naff now because uh, you are just like the nicest man. <laughs> I can't believe you're sitting here thanking us when, like, I, okay, I was going to try and keep my gushing to a minimum. No, but please, <laughs> at my age, I usually gush when I can't make it to the men's room, so please go ahead. <laughs> Um, when I was when I was younger, I a huge Turtles fan, um, yeah. and it it was mostly because right okay, here comes the sob story. Go the violins. I was relentlessly bullied when I was younger because I was short and fat and a teacher's pet and I had braces and glasses pretty much every, oh and massive big like Bugs Bunny style front teeth <laughs> you know the whole bullying package and um. I remember sort of every every time it was on, me and my sister and my mum, we would sit down and we would watch the turtles. And I mean, I think I watched some episodes so much that um, a couple of years ago, my husband bought me the first three DVDs of the 80s show um, for a Valentine's Day gift. And I put an episode on and I quoted nearly all of it. <laughs> I'm such a nerd. <laughs> well, then, then you... You're exactly the, the person about whom I'm speaking. And, and it, it, you know, it's a powerful thing, isn't it? Definitely. And, I, I mean, this is another testament to how um, nerdy I was about the Turtles. When the Nickelodeon show came on, which I practically did a ludicrous happy dance around my living room about when I found out <laughs> that it was coming back. Um, as soon as it came on, because I've got to admit, I'm, I'm crap at names. So I don't, like, it's like I'm a fan of football and American football, but I don't remember players' names, so I don't know what's happening. I just know this is the team that I follow. Oh, no, they lost a game. Or, ooh, they <laughs> like, that's, that's how my brain works. I've got no capacity for, uh, for names and things. So I had no idea um, when, you know, the voices were announced for the new one. The only one I recognized was Sean Astin, and then I felt really bad about not recognizing Jason P. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was like, that guy's really famous. What's wrong with me? Um, <laughs> but when, as soon as I heard Donatello speak, I turned to my husband and I said, Rich, I know that guy. In fact, I'm fairly sure that that was a turtle once. So Rich was on his iPhone straight away. Yeah, that was Raph. And I plotzed practically. <laughs> you, can I do, Okay, I will stop gushing after this, but you are amazing. And I feel like you should know that. <laughs> Bless you. Well, you've made my day. I'm telling you because, uh, and, and that is a really great story. Uh, the whole turtle thing, because as you can imagine, it was uh, the, the, 
that, the Turtles was the first really big show I did, but I had already been working quite a bit before that in animation. I'd done a lot of TV and movie live action uh, stuff, but I had um, I did uh, you know Tiny Toon Adventures and Tailspin and Gummy Bears and Goof Troop and and all that other uh, a lot of other stuff. Um, uh, matter of fact, I think I was working on Fraggle Rock, an animated version of Fraggle Rock, at the time that the audition came around for Ninja Turtles, and we did the show and we did a few episodes, and it was released as five a five episode package during the holiday season one year, you know, Christmas and New Year's. I think it was eighty eight, eighty nine, uh, and it did okay enough to make them do eight more for a package of thirteen. Well, then the following year it just went insane. So that was the, the you know that totally changed my career. Um, to be on something that was a bona fide world-class cultural phenomenon. And then cut to 25 years later, uh, I was working, um, 20 years later, actually, I guess 22, whatever. I was working at Nick on, um, Fairly Odd Parents or, I don't know, Danny Phantom or I, I don't require, maybe it was Jimmy Neutron. I don't know. Oh no, it was Planet Sheen. It was a, the spinoff of, of Jimmy Neutron. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from my agent. They saying, you know, you you heard that Viacom, who of course owns Nickelodeon, MTV, Paramount, a very giant multinational corporation, they bought the rights to Ninja Turtles. And I said, yeah, I read that in the trade papers. And she said, we just got a call from casting over there at, at Nick. Um, they would love for you to read for uh, Ninja Turtles. And I said, well, that'd be great. But do they, do they know who I am? And I didn't mean it out of arrogance. What I meant was, as you know, being a turtle fan. I was on the original show and we did, a, I don't know, almost the 200 episodes over seven or eight years. Uh, but there were several permutations, or I guess you'd say iterations of Ninja Turtles that were done subsequent to the original show that had nothing to do with the original cast. Um, and, and I get that. I'm a, I know how it works. You know, the producer comes along, he wants new people. No problem. Fine. I, I, hey, I was Raphael, man. That, for a lot of actors, just doing that would have been a hell of a run, you know, you're the rest of your life. You can say I'm a Ninja Turtle baby. And, and it was pretty cool. Um, and so I got a call back from my agent. She said, no, 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 no. They know exactly who you are. In fact, the people making the show are now of the age that they would have watched turtles and pinky in the brain. They know that, you know, all of your work, they just think that you would be appropriate for their vision of Donatello. Are you okay with that? And I said, well, of course I'm not a, I'm not a movie star. Yeah. I'd I'd love to read for it. Um, thinking, and I have to tell you the, the, the damn truth, Stacy. I really didn't think I had a prayer. Not so much. I mean, I knew I could, ha- I got the chops. I'm a better actor today than I was, was, you know, last year at this time, I'm always working to get better. It wasn't about talent. It was about the fact that I was self-conscious, uh, not, not to the extent that I couldn't read for it, but I immediately went to the fact that, you know, I'm 52 now or whatever. I'm 53 years old. And Jesus, sooner or later, that's going to bother somebody. Because they're going to audition hundreds of people to be on the new Turtles. They're going to spend a lot of money on it. It's going to be a big deal. It's Viacom. It's huge. Or it's going to be. And do you know, I went in to read and, and the, the producers were there. When I walked in, like they had their Pinky and the Brain DVDs. Would you mind signing this for me and all that? And I had maybe four or five callbacks. And each time I would get a bit of, I would get a, a, a text message from my good friend, um, Matt Corey, who is, one of the recording engineers at Nickelodeon, he'd say, dude, they, you killed it. They just loved it. When you said blah, 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 you really, oh man, this is great. You know, I'm sure you get a callback. And of course there were a series of callbacks. They whittled it down because they did audition hundreds of people. But at the final callback, I was in a room with, I don't know, with like Jason Bateman and uh, 
um, John Cryer and Will uh, Wheaton and a lot of really well-known young actors. And the, it was clear to me again that it's not about my age. It's not about the way I look. It never has been. And it still isn't. It's about your chops. It's about your passion. It's about your talent, what you can bring to the table. So don't be self-conscious, you idiot. You're here. You know, and, and you can even make the argument that you've got more on the ball than these guys do. Not because they're not brilliant and talented and lovely, but you've been doing this twice as long as they have. So why don't you accept the fact that you you might even have an advantage? has nothing to do with the way you look. These guys, especially Bateman and Cryer, those guys don't need the money. They just wanted to be a turtle. And I totally get that. It's a big He wouldn't. <laughs> and so lo and behold, my agent called and said, well, how do you feel about being a turtle again? I said, forgive me. I said, are you fucking kidding me? And she said, nope, you got the job. And I am so indebted and grateful to Cyril and the folks at Nickelodeon for giving me this job because the one thing that it's done, again, is to reinforce how big the whole franchise is. But the thing that happens over and over and over and over again with the new show is that people find out that, I, you know, it doesn't take them long to realize, especially uh, audioly to listen to me and say, Oh my God, that guy sounds familiar. And they do what you did. And they find out that I was Raphael. But what was so cool about this is that people would text or tweet or come up to me in personal appearances before the new show came out and say exactly what I expected them to say. You know, I got to tell you, I really, I totally get why you're doing this and all that, but man, I, I don't know, really Sean Aspen is Raphael and you know, I love you, Rob, but you're always going to be Raphael to me. And, and I, but, but I don't get me wrong. I love, I mean, they were, they were like being apologetic, you know, and saying, so I, I forgive me, but nothing can top that show. And I totally get it because it's, it's nostalgia, incredibly mm -hmm. powerful. Then the show is on the air. And my son was one of those people. He said, you know what? I'll watch it and I'll let you know what I think. Well, four, after the fourth episode, he called me and said, I just have to tell you, this is unbelievable. I love the new turtles. And we, that's exactly what we hear from, I would say 80% of the fans so much so that if you go to IMDB or IGM or Rotten Tomatoes or any of the well-known rating things, you know, they give us for the whole season of the first year, they gave us uh, as an, an average of eight out of 10 or 80% of the people, you know, loved it. And that is the one comment I hear over and over and over again is that it, is that they really dig the new show and they kind of dig the fact that I'm in it. It's kind of fun for them. Um, I was the one who was a little self-conscious about whether or not people would have an issue with it. And the truth is that most of the time people get a huge kick for the reasons I mentioned earlier because of their children and being able to share it. But often they kind of go, wow, you, you can still do this. And it makes me feel like I'm listening to my childhood, but you bring a, a little different tweak to Donatello than you did to Raphael. And I love the, the relationship between you and, and April O'Neil. And there's a romantic aspect of it. And it looks really cool and blah, blah, blah. So, man, that is a very unusual circumstance where you can reboot a show, have one of the original actors on it 25 years later, a full generation later and have the old and the new generation give it eight out of 10 stars. That is incredibly unusual. And um, I'm, you know, so that, that whole thing, how, you know, what an, what an amazing experience, right? It's just crazy. It's like Turtles is one of those franchises that 
um, the people that loved it like loved it. Wow. So it's 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 definitely one of those things. I mean, it's the turtles is always one of those things that when I hear they're doing something new with it, I'm like, Oof, just in case, because even though I know, if, even if this Nickelodeon version was crap, which by the way is totally not, but if it had been crap, it's not like that means I can't ever watch the '80s one again and that I will enjoy it any less. It's still there and I can still love it and it's fine. But I always get a little bit on edge, like oh, oh, what they're gonna do? But like every version that I've seen, because I mean, there's been the live action films, um, loads of different comics. Um, there was the. Were you involved at all with Turtles? I want to say it was called Turtles Forever, but my mind is having a blank. No, um, I know what you're talking about. Uh, there was was that the one where they had like the old turtles and the new turtles and. Yeah. Um, no, I wasn't. That was a non-union show uh, in terms of you know the Screen Actors Guild, and I can't do that mm-hmm. work. Um, and, but the one that I thought my favorite version of Turtles was a feature done in 2007 called uh, just called TMNT oh. 2007. Mate, uh, I saw that four times in the cinema and I cried every time. You know the bit when Leo gets taken and Raph just like screams at the sky and stabs his thigh in the ground, which I totally just did the action to and nobody can see me. Um, yeah, full on crying in the cinema. <laughs> like I saw it the first time with my mom. She was like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm certainly not crying. <clears throat> Listen, that's my son's favorite too, and and the reason I really dig it is because two of my very best friends in the world, James Arnold Taylor and Nolan North, are in it, and Nolan was Raphael. So um, I do my podcast live now at the the Improv, which is a very famous comedy um, uh, club here in in Hollywood, and so I do it live. And about I don't know a month and a half ago, we did an evening. Um, it's you can listen to it now. Um, the audio version. I think we even did a video version of on UStream. Ustream TV, which you can watch. I can give you all the information that you can you can go to watch uh, the video podcast as well. But we did an evening of three Raphaels. We had me and Sean and uh, Nolan. And oh, wow. uh, it was great. And I love TMNT 2007. And that's another thing is, I see, to me, I'm not one of those actors that, that goes, well, geez, it wasn't as good as what I did. I, it's not about that. To me, a high tide raises all boats. You know, it does. All it does is, is perpetuate a great mythology, a great show, a great franchise. So lo and behold, I, I you know, who'd have thought in 2007 that in 2014, I'd be talking to you about the fact that I've been, that I'm, I'm re- in the middle of recording season three of yet another version of Ninja Turtles. And, uh, you know, and, and, and your reaction and your response is, as I said, virtually what everybody does that this, you know, I was a little bit leery of it and I totally get that. I have to tell you, it never, it never changes, whether it's younger folks or, or folks who get a bit older. I remember sitting in my office when we were, uh, recording Animaniacs before it ever came out. We had that a year and a half before it came out to record the start recording the show, which was a huge gift. But that happens when, you know, when you work with Steven Spielberg and that kind of group, you have a lot of, uh, a lot of room to play. Um, so I was getting emails or reading comments on chat rooms about, you know, uh, Oh no, tiny tunes. Why would they even, why don't they just do more tiny tunes? Come on, Steven, my God, you know, we love this show and, and Babs and Buster. And it's just, it reminds us of Looney Tunes and it's you, Mr. Spielberg, what are you doing? Why are you going to, you know? And I'm like, just Jesus Christ, you know, give it a chance. So it comes out, and here we are 20 years later. Another thing, I go to these personal appearances, and I run into people who will be 20, who weren't even just barely born when Animaniacs came out, 
or people who are 70, who are my age when Animaniacs came out now, you know, and they still love it. So the fact is that Animaniacs has become uh, a cultural iconic show, due in no small part to this incredible music that we got to do. So I go and sing my little Countries of the World song or do an evening of Animaniacs live music with a symphony orchestra. And all the players in the orchestra love Animaniacs. So at every level, at every point, uh, there are clever, talented, younger, driven, passionate people who come along and they're sort of entrusted with this, with the, uh, uh, the, the, the childhoods of millions and millions of people. And the lesson that I'm learning is that every generation has talent. <laughs> you know, it's, we weren't the only ones that did it right. I'm working with people now that I'm old enough to be their father. And I look at them and go, Jesus Christ, that's, that's great stuff. So, uh, you know, not only do I want to continue to work, but as a fan and a geek, just like everybody else who's listening here, I'm a big nerd, man. I, and, and so why would I want to cut myself off from all this good stuff? So if there's a lesson in this, take it from an old guy. When something comes along, there's a newer version of what it is you fell in love with as a child. Give it a chance. And often you'll be surprised. It doesn't mean you said it perfectly. It doesn't mean you can't watch your old turtle stuff with the magic of DVDs and, and YouTube. My God, everything I've ever done, I have 20 or 25 million hits of various things I've done on YouTube. And I had no idea that stuff was there. So one day I spent some time compiling it as a general idea for a a promotional piece that somebody wanted to do on me. And I said, holy smoke, I can, I can find about 20 odd million hits of things that I've done that, that say Rob Paulson as blah, 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 you know, not on one thing, but I'm going, holy smoke. I mean, 7 million people have watched Yakko's world on, on YouTube, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's crazy. And there's some good stuff out there. Anyway, you, you tell, you can certainly tell I have no, no reason or no, uh, no problem speaking, but, um, <laughs> That's okay. I'm really nervous, and I've noticed there's a slight echo on my voice, so I'm quite happy to just let you ramble. It's fine. <laughs> oh, you're, honey, if you're nervous, you don't come up that way. You're doing a great job. Oh, thank you. I'm trying not to barf. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I was going to ask, actually, because um, when when you agreed to do I will freely admit that when I text you about, uh, well, when I sent you the message about coming onto the show, I was a tiny bit drunk and, and wasn't really expecting you to say yes. Um <laughs> So I, I went to went online to do a little bit of prep, and um, you've been in so much stuff; it would be ludicrous to name it all. But one of the things that I really wanted to talk about was the tick, because oh, oh my god, like I I was a latecomer to the tick. I didn't really realise it existed until I, do you know I can't remember what it was. That I I think I just caught a fleeting episode on a sick day from work once, and I was like, well, this is the most ridiculously brilliant thing I've ever seen in my life ran out and got both series on DVD. But um, that that show, I mean, that must have been so much fun to work on. Oh, my God. I, yes. I mean, I, I, well, first of all, it was great for the one, the first reason was because Townsend Coleman, who was my close friend, was Michelangelo and Ninja Turtles. Mm. And he and I were really, we really are still brothers. Cam Clark, who was Leonardo, Barry Gordon, Donatello, I was Raph, and Mikey uh, was uh, Townsend. And actually, we're going, all four of us, and Renee Jacobs, who was April O'Neill, are going to be at the Calgary Entertainment Expo in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, um, at the end of April. So we're doing all four of the original Ninja Turtles and April O'Neill, you know, live there, which is going to be a huge deal. Um, so Townie, Townsend is a dear, dear friend. Just spoke to him last week. 
and he got cast as a tick. And he's he was unbelievable. I mean, he really was. He totally got that self-important wax jobbiness right. I mean, so perfect. And uh, what was interesting is that I had read Sue Blue, who directed the show, also directed Ninja Turtles. So she said, Robbie, I'd love to have you read for Arthur. Okay. Then she called me and said, hey, they, you, you got it. You and Townsend are going to be uh, the tick, uh, Arthur and the tick, respectively. I said, oh, my God. Wonderful. Okay. So then the night before the show, I got a call from Susie again, and she was very apologetic. And, and I said, well, what's the matter? She said, well, they, they decided, the producer decided that they want to have uh, a celebrity kind of play the role of Arthur. And I said, oh, well, that's not the first time that's happened. Okay, hey, that's a, but, but they really love you because clearly they've already cast you. But, um, but uh, you know, they've already cast you, but um, they've just decided they want to do this celebrity thing. So I said, okay, no problem. And I said, well, who's the celebrity just for the sake of, and she said, it's Mickey Dolenz. And I said, Mickey Dolenz, who was in The Monkees, which was a big show when I was a kid. He was the drummer in The Monkees. Uh, and I said, and I, I was both excited and then a little bit confused. I said, well, with all due respect to Mickey, I mean, if you're going to get a celebrity to draw attention to it, uh, Mickey Dolenz, you know, again, with no, no disrespect for Mickey Dolenz, I love the monkeys. They were part of my childhood. I just, you know, didn't quite get it, but it didn't matter. And they, the producer stuck to their guns and they brought me in on the first 12 or 13 episodes. Anyway, I just wasn't playing Arthur. Okay. So at the end of the first season, Mickey got a job where he was going to go on the road and do theater. And the producers came to me and said, look, um, you know, sorry to do this, but uh, we really would love for you to, you, you know, you were our first choice and somebody decided blah, blah, blah. And are you okay with that? I said, look, I am happy to do it, but uh, I just would really, and that's, I'll do it on a handshake. Please don't, you know, if Mickey decides not to do it or comes back after a few, please, if you're going to let me be Arthur, let me be Arthur. Uh, and, and of course, I realized that a handshake is only as good as the people shaking the hands, but the, uh, they were great. And I ended up doing the, the next two seasons. As I recall, there were three altogether, 39 episodes, I think. And I did 26, uh, 26 of them as Arthur. And man, what, uh, and as I said, I did a number, uh, quite a few of them at, uh, without being Arthur as well um, as, as ancillary characters. But man, what a show. And the most impressive thing about that was uh, Ben Edlund, who was the creator at the time was I think 22 or 23 years old. And he created this, oh yeah, I know. Oh, t trust me, it, you know, here you, you're 28 and you go, what? And I was at that time probably 37, 38 years old. And I walk into this kid who's 23, 24, whatever. And oh yeah, this is Ben Edlin, he's a producer, creator, writer. And I'm like, are you kidding? This guy, this guy is unbelievable, man. At 22 or 23, so now I believe he's one of the executive producers of, uh, Supernatural and a bunch of other things. He's, he's an incredibly gifted fellow. So he created the comic book and the show and wrote him. No, enormously gifted young fellow. Um, and boy, what a great show. And again, Cam Clark was on that. Maurice LaMarche, my friend, my friend, the brain. Oh, <laughs> I love the brain. Love the brain too. And he just, uh, just texted me literally right while uh, right now we're talking because he and I are going to be up this weekend at San Francisco at a thing called Sketch Fest, and I'm doing my podcast live up there. Maurice is going to be on, and Phil Lamar and um, James Urbaniak, and a lovely friend of mine from IGN called uh, um, Greg Miller, who hosts a show called Up at Noon on IGN. And so, all these guys are going to be on my podcast tomorrow afternoon up in beautiful theater in San Francisco. But 
Um, so Mo just sent me a text and I, anyway, Maurice did a great character on that show called the evil mad bomber, the evil midnight bomber. And he said, I'm the evil midnight, midnight bomber with bombs at midnight, baby. Yeah. And <laughs> I did not realize that was him. That's Maurice. Oh, wow. Oh my God. What a talent. And of course he's done, I don't know how many characters he does on Futurama. He's won like a billion <laughs> back Emmys for his work on Futurama. And it's one of my probably three dearest friends in the world. I had dinner with him last uh, Wednesday, and I, I really do love Maurice. He's just a he's like a he, Tress, Jess, Maurice, Frank Welker, uh, Jeff Bennett. These people who are these are people who really are my my family. I I, I really do love those people. Um, and Mo is so talented, and and completely devoid of pretense. You, you would just you would love him. Um, and we've done a number of Pinky in the Brain live shows around the country, uh, and, we, and we're going to be doing some more. And the response to Mo and me doing our little, you know, dog and pony show or Pinky in the Brain mousy show is so wonderful. They, folks just love hearing us do banter back and forth, and they love hearing, you know— uh, uh, well, I think so, Stacey, but if Jimmy Crest's corner, nobody cares. Why don't you keep doing it? No. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, I think so, Stacey, but me and Pippi Longstocking, I mean, what would the children look like? <laughs> uh, I think so. I think so, Stacey, but if they called them sad meals, no one would buy them, would they? Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> Have you heard the, um, <clears throat> the fun theory about Pinky and the Brain? Oh yes, yes I have. Yeah, in the in the Pinky's Pinky's the genius. There was just a thing on Cracked, a little video this week that a couple of young fellows did uh, doing the same thing. They were talking about Animaniacs and Pinky in the Brain. And um, again, what happens is uh, I find these um, whether the tick is the same way. Um, I when I go to do a personal appearance, I find when people say, "Wait a minute, you were Arthur?" I say, "Yeah." Oh my God. I mean, yeah, I dug this show and that show, but The Tick, that was my show. And so I think, well, here I am. So it is an incredibly gratifying, uh, wonderful thing. And, the, and, the, and again, it's timeless. Good stuff is good stuff. Whether it's um, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle or Looney Tunes or Bambi or Fantasia or The Lion King or Animaniacs or Futurama or... Uh, the Venture Brothers, or Rick and Morty, or The Simpsons. Uh, there are iconic cultural animated shows and features that will that have stood the test of time. We don't have the benefit and the fullness of 300 years of time yet, so we can't com- make the comparison that I could make musically, and that's why people still love Mahler and Mozart and Beethoven and Bach and Stravinsky and Rachmaninoff and Shostakovich because good music is good music. And we just now know that people still go in by the millions all over the world to hear orchestras play that music that is often 300 years old. But now we have cartoons. I've been, I've had the pleasure of knowing um, June Foray, who is the voice of Rocky and Natasha. You know, she's 96. She's old enough to be my grandmother. And I've had the great privilege of working with June countless times, having her on my podcast. We're in a movie together, this great new movie that John DiMaggio did called I Know That Voice, which is fantastic about our business. And June has the effect on me that I have on you. 
And I, I love that. Now, she was working on shows that were being done when I, before I was born. And they still are entertaining. And they will still be entertaining 50 years from now. I don't know that people will still love Animaniacs and Ninja Turtles. And I don't know. And I obviously won't be around to see it. But uh, my suspicion is that, that some of it they will because it's just good stuff. Um, the music that we did on Animaniacs, the cleverness of the tick, uh, the sheer hugeness of the pop culture, of, you know, the iconicness uh, of uh, Ninja Turtles. I don't think that that will go away. There will be some version of it going all the time. And one of the things I loved about Looney Tunes when I was a kid was the music. It was done with a huge orchestra. And that's the way we did it on Animaniacs because of Mr. Spielberg. And I, I probably went to a dozen, I don't know how many recording sessions I went to. And I'm telling you to walk into that scoring stage with 40 world-class musicians uh, playing all the stuff that goes along with your show. And Yakko climbs up the water tower ladder and the xylophone guy goes, you know, or uh, Wacko raises an eyebrow and the, and the, uh, the you know, a, a string player goes, it's just the most incredible thing to watch. And, and it is such a mutual admiration society in our business because all these world-class musicians were freaked out that Yakko was there. They'd say, oh, my God, would you sign my music? Was a, yeah, but I, I mean, I'm just the voice guy. Oh, no, are you, we love the show. We love Yakko. Please sign my music. Hello, nurse, you know. And I'm, I'm just amazed at the French horn player. Or I'm amazed at the string players. Or I'm amazed at the incredible work of the composers. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the getting all philosophical, but it's the truth. Good stuff is good stuff. And it will continue to entertain and inspire and make people laugh and cry and feel things, um, hopefully, forever. Um, I just wish that I would have been around in a couple hundred years to see if people still got a kick out of United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru. You know, it's great stuff. If, um, if I've got any say in the matter, it will, because um, although I don't ever plan to have any kids of my own, um, I've, I already want to spread the nerd love to any kids that my friends or my sister might have. Um, like I'm, I'm trying to convince my sister to call her kid Raphael, but she's not having it. <laughs> um, but I think Raphael Parker is a perfectly legitimate name and very cool. I think maybe she could call him uh, Splinter. That would be kind of cute. <laughs> Do you know, she got some fish and she wouldn't even call the fish Splinter. She was like, that's a stupid name for a fish. <laughs> Clearly, you don't know names. <laughs> fish. I have a, one of my dearest friends is one of the most talented actors I've ever met. His name is Dee Bradley Baker. And Dee is the voice of Klaus the Fish on um, on uh, American Dad. I love Klaus the Fish. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And, and this is a great story. I've told it on my podcast, but this is great. Because, uh, you know, I know there are people listening to you who have not heard my podcast. And this story is wonderful. And it's a great story for actors because um, I auditioned for that show too. It was a, uh, as I recall, that's produced by Seth MacFarlane as well over at Fox. And I went in and I think I had a call back on it or something. And I remember that or, as D. Bradley Baker tells the story, uh, he, he, that was originally supposed to be a French accent. And I read for it as such. I did a character on, um, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog years ago called Antoine, and he had this kind of crazy French accent there, you know. And um, so they said, hey, we'd love you to come and do, you know, try this with a French accent, blah, blah, blah. Well, Dee is not only a gifted actor, but he also is fluent in German. He spent a year or two studying in Germany, and he speaks and writes fluent German. 
So he said, you know what? My French accent is not very good, and it's certainly not as good as Maurice LaMarche or Rob Paulson or Billy. Uh, I'm not even going to bother. What I will do is give you my take, if you'll indulge me, on it with a German accent. So they were like, well, okay, cool. Well, seven years later or nine years later, he's Klaus the Fish with a German accent. So what that tells people is don't be afraid to take a chance and don't do something if you're not playing to your strengths. It's better to be honest with yourself than to put an audition or do something out there that is not your best work. And so I learned a lesson from that too. It was certainly like, what, what, you know, great. He's been, he deserves it. He's the guy for the job. He's freaking hysterical. And he's created a, a, a character for himself that will, you know, be there for a long, long time. But I do the same thing. If somebody says, Hey, we need a dead on whatever I say, I, you know, the guy for this is Jeff Bennett or the guy for that really is, is Maurice or Frank. Cause I can do a half-assed version of their perfect version. So I'm not going to bother. Now, if you want me to do my version of it, I'll give you a tweet. I mean, I'll give you a twist on, on a variation on a theme, but I'm not going to, if, if you want to spot on, don't, not going to mess with it. And that, that's a, that's a pretty good, I think a pretty good way to handle that stuff to the extent, you know, you have actors listening because when you're dealing with in, in Hollywood or New York or London at a high level, the talent is so good and the actors are so proficient that it's it, it, unless you can give uh, uh, unless you can really do a world class version of what they're asking, don't bother because it's not going to help you. Um, and you might even be better off saying, you know, I'm not good at that, but I'm happy to try this. And you never know where that will lead. Um, so anyway, that's my my two cents vis a vis uh, acting for the for your podcast. But it, it's it's just uh, it's just an an, an incredible opportunity that we all have to do this. And, uh, uh, the fact that you are kind enough to, as you said, spread the nerd love is something that we all really appreciate. And I, I'm telling you to the extent that there are people listening out there who would be interested and it'll happen. It's, it's slowly, but surely, um, I'm starting to get, you know, get my message out there. Um, it, 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 I'll get to the UK and I really, really want to, I know you have some really wonderful conventions there. And um, maybe I'll even be able to come and do a show on my own because uh, Randy Rogel and I, who wrote Randy, who wrote the lion's share of all the songs we did on Animaniacs, uh, got permission last year from Steven Spielberg and Warner Brothers to take a musical show on the road. Um, and we can do it. We can work it uh, for whether it's just a piano and Randy and me uh, or uh, we have uh, we're doing some shows this year, later in the year with symphony orchestras. To, so the music will be performed exactly the way as it was on a TV show only to be performed live with a big screen and the cartoons behind us. And Randy will be on a grand piano and the whole orchestra will be playing the chart and I get to sing it. Oh my God. That would be so, I'm such a massive, um, soundtracks nerd. I, um, (laughs) I am one of these people who will be in the middle of a film and just go, I'm just going to get my phone and make a mental note to buy this album when I get it. (laughs) Cause I just, I think, I don't think anything can beat a live orchestra. Oh honey, boy. from your lips to God's ears. It's so I walking into those recording sessions was overwhelming. The power of, of real players playing, uh, you know, real instruments is, is it really, there is, there is nothing like it. And I, I know that's why uh, people go to see orchestras still perform. And I'm telling people, you know, young folks out there, do yourself a favor. Even if you, if, if you don't particularly care for regular classical music or run of the mill classical music. Okay. I get that. Then go do, what my kid did, when you hear 
that the orchestras in your neighborhood or the Birmingham Orchestra or the London Philharmonic or whomever is, is doing a, uh, an evening of animation music or an evening of video game music, some of which is so sophisticated, go see it. It's fantastic to hear your music that you love played live. Um, and so, you know, when Randy and I just do Randy with a piano and me singing, um, uh, you know, uh, a quake, a quake, how much more can we take? And Randy's just playing the piano. People love it because it's just brilliant music and, and it's clever and it's fun and all of that. But then when you throw in, uh, I've already done it with the Kentucky Symphony Orchestra out here. And I'm telling you what, you walk out in front of an audience with 30, 40 pieces behind you. And you hear the dun 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 They're matching the the movement on the screen, and then I get to go. You know, United States, Canada, Mexico, Pan. The audience eats it up, and from the stage, it's pure magic. Pure magic. There's the power of all these instruments behind you is just ridiculous, and it trans it translates to the audience beautifully. And so, um, yeah, it's it's a cool thing. So. Anyway, Randy and I are working on that. This uh, A week from Tuesday, we'll be doing a, um, a live show out here at the Improv in Hollywood, Randy and me, to shoot it, the promo for our show so we can hopefully take it around the world. That's our, that's our goal. And um, I submit that there's an audience for it, certainly in the UK. And um, I know there is in Australia because I was down there last year. I'm going back this year. So one of these days, we'll figure it out, kiddo. And uh, I would definitely love- do. Honestly, I was. I went to. Um, I don't think the the Birmingham Symphony Orchestra has ever done a video game music um, show, but every year they do a, a John Williams show, and um, I don't think like literally the hairs on the back of my neck and my arms were just standing up when it just started with the Star Wars theme, <laughs> and just that initial like sort of big brass noise was just like, yes, I'm sold. Ugh, oh, so good. Probably. 10 years ago, I took my boy Ash to go see John Williams himself at the, with the Hollywood Bowl Symphony Orchestra doing the evening of his music. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. It was overwhelming. Fabulous. And they've been doing something out here at the Hollywood Bowl for years called Bugs on Broadway, which is essentially what I'm talking about doing with Animaniacs. Um, and the thing that I'm finding out, and of course, that music is timeless. It was written by Carl Stalling and uh, Milt Franklin, and they even use the same piano that was used with all the Animaniacs music. Uh, we use the same piano. Um, oh, wow. oh, wow. With all, this, all that Bugs Bunny music. But it's timeless, great, wonderful stuff. And now Animaniacs is 20-odd years old, and people uh, are going, wow, this is something I want to see, and I want to take my kids to see it. Um, because it's timeless, and again, brilliance is brilliance. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the music, who wrote it. Um, so... Uh, and, and also what we find is that, the, like, for instance, I would probably, you know, there probably isn't too far-fetched to think that the folks at the Birmingham Symphony or the, uh, uh, you know, the London Philharmonic or, you know, different symphony orchestras around the UK and uh, Ireland and Scotland, whatever, I would be willing to bet money that often the people who are the artistic directors, maybe even the conductors, are people who would know the music that I'm talking about. They would go, are you kidding me? I loved Animaniacs as a kid. Or I was in college. I was in music school when that was on. And now I'm 40 or 45, and I love that music. Um, so it's a really great time. The people at the Denver, you know, we're going to be doing it at, at, in Colorado with the Denver Symphony, or the Colorado Symphony in Denver, which is an enormous symphony. 
And they approached us and said, we've heard you guys are doing this. This is a big deal. Denver's a major city. And, um, and to have an orchestra that big, you know, it turns out the artistic directors are people who just say, oh, my God, we love this music. We know how complicated it is. And all of our players are, you know, 25, 30, 40, 45. And they love this music and they, they joyfully want to play it. So it's just a matter of getting the message out, um, letting people know that we're doing it and we're interested and all of that. And uh, I'm so excited for the next 10 or 15 years because I'm going to get a chance to meet people like you in person. So hopefully one of these days we'll be at the UK and it would just nothing would make me happier than to uh, to meet you and your husband. It would be lovely. Oh, bless you. <laughs> You're so kind. Uh, Honestly, my face hurts. I have not stopped grinning this entire time. <laughs> Good. Well, isn't that lovely? That is sure much better than having your face hurt from frowning for the last two hours. Yeah, my face hurts because I was so ludicrously bored, Rob. <laughs> no, that Got was it. a joke. I <laughs> hope. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, are you like? I'm very conscious of how long we've been talking, and I don't want to keep you like for ages. So. <laughs> No, no, no problem. I was going to say, I, I do have to go soon because I got to get uh, some stuff together to jump on a plane and go to San Francisco. But I, I've been kind of rambling on my own. And I don't know that I've, a, I've answered your specific questions. And I, I don't want you to leave without having you gotten at least a, a, you know, a couple more specific questions that you might have answered because a lot of it has been me just sort of pontificating. That's, you know that's absolutely fine I actually didn't write down any questions because I was I was very conscious of, of not wanting to come across like I was just barking things at you because I tend to do that when I'm nervous I just go oh, um do you like this oh, what? and just panic so <laughs> um but I did I did want to ask there, there were two things particularly I wanted to ask about the first was on behalf of my sister she basically adores the land before time movies <laughs> Spike. Spike. I had no idea Spike would have even had a voice actor because doesn't just, doesn't he just sort of make noises? I'm so glad you mentioned that, and it's one of the it's one of the uh, running jokes between me and my other buddies because I've you know done pretty well financially on the Land Before Time, and basically all it is is me going, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, hey Spike, you're stepping in the water. Hey, you know, hey Spike, look, you're stepping in the water. <laughs> Don't fall over the log. <laughs> Hey Spike, look, it's a pterodactyl. You know, and I get a, I get paid American dollars for that, and then I, or or they'll say, Hey Rob, you know we've only got four or five spike lines, so would you just do a various and sundry uh, few? Uh, okay, thanks Rob. Off you go. Go play golf. You know, so uh, yeah, Spike, and it's it's amazing that people. I've been in circumstances like with folks like your sister where I'll be signing autographs and they'll come up and they'll be saying, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I hope you don't think this is weird, but I just love Spike. And I said, well, no, it's not weird at all. Would you say something? And I said, well, uh, yeah, which, which is, you know, that's, and then they, oh my God, oh my God, he said, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I hope your sister, uh, I think there was actually one time at which Spike actually had a, some words. And didn't he? Didn't he imagine a song about tree stars or some such? I think you're thing. absolutely right. And I, you know, honestly, forgive me. It's not, uh, you know, it's not because I, I don't want to, but I've done. I've been so lucky to do so much work that I don't <laughs> remember. And that happens to me a lot, where people say, you know, it, Arthur had this one line in this great episode. Do you remember when you? And I have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And, and I, I say very respectfully, 
I would love to do it for you. If you can remember it, fine. But I'm telling you, it was 20 years ago. And Just hop on YouTube. Um, let's look it up quick. <laughs> if you ask me to do uh, something from Ninja Turtles that I recorded last week, I probably, <laughs> you know. But I do remember, obviously, Spike. I think we did about 10 or 11 of those Land Before Time movies. And, and that really makes a lot of, a lot of uh, the, the, the young child and a lot of people very happy. So uh, Spike has a very uh, special place in my heart, especially because I, learned, I earned a lot of money saying, <laughs> Spike's a really interesting character, though, because he's a lot of people's favorites. And literally all he says is, <laughs> Well, so I guess I must be a brilliant actor. How about that? Well, I think so. Oh, thank you, honey. <laughs> Um, the the other thing I wanted, I've been going back to the turtles because pff, they're amazing. When when you got the part as as Donnie in the newer in the Nick show, were you conscious of of not making it sound too rough, or were you did you just think oh, I'll just do what I I do? Yeah, kind of the latter. Um, because the truth is that you know you can probably hear it in my voice. I mean, you you listen to me long enough now. In terms of work, and you've it, uh, and if you've heard the podcast, I, I don't know if you have, but you've heard mm-hmm. me speak enough, and you've probably seen me in interviews and things, and certainly you know that my my spe- natural speaking voice is uh, very raff like, um, and Arthur like. I mean, Arthur is basically like, I don't know, Tick. I don't think that's such a good idea. It's not really that different from my own speaking voice. So, uh, they, being the producers, did not ask me to affect my voice. What they wanted was in the finest fashion of good production. They wanted good acting. They wanted uh, solid choices to be made. They wanted the character to be organic. Not It wasn't so much about the voice. The voice comes like any good acting job. The voice comes as a result of the solid choices you make uh, and the organic qualities uh, that make up a, a real living, breathing, and I put this in quotes, turtle, right? That you want, I mean, of course, we know that there's a willing suspension of disbelief. Somebody said something, sent me a tweet the other day about, about, now, nah, you know, I'm kind of, you know, the, the, uh, the fact that something, the turtles, it's really difficult for me to, you know, it's a little far fetched when the turtles are doing this. And I, I responded to this, I, far fetched. Dude, we're talking about, we're talking about talking ninja turtles. And you're concerned that what they're doing in the context of the show is far fetched. I mean, you can say I don't like the show or I don't like the script, but I, you know, when you're arguing about <laughs> whether it's whether it's logical or whether it's yeah, that doesn't make sense that they would yeah, kind of wait a minute, dude. The whole pretense, the whole precept is a little illogical. That's why we suspend our disbelief. You can still say I didn't like the movie or I don't like the show, but you either got to buy it or you don't, and then the context makes sense, you know. So anyway. The, the, the point is that what they were asking for was not for me to change my voice. They were asking for me to develop the character. And I'm incredibly flattered, and I think that I've done my job. Because what people say is we really like Donatello. We love that he's got this romantic thing going on with April. We love that he's maybe a little more badass than the original Donnie because um, he still does the whole... Uh, machine, you know, genius thing, but he's not afraid to say, uh, you know, um, um, I'm doing the best I can, guys. Would you shut up and leave me alone? You know, or he's got me by the face, Mikey. He's got me by the- <laughs> Do you know, I was just going to say, one of my favorite things that I think was an absolutely brilliant choice for the Nick show is the fact that Donatello keeps getting attacked in the face. Yeah. Because, oh, he's a cute little face. 
Yeah, Barry is fantastic. Barry will always be the original Donnie, but Barry was much more, I mean, he was certainly able to, you know, fight and all that, but Barry was much more the nerdy kind of guy. And in my, in this case, in, you know, it's not because of me, it's what the producers wanted. And I, I hope I'm delivering on that. And that is that I can, you know, snap and be a little bit difficult and still be a kick-ass guy and, and, uh, hopefully, you know, be romantic with April. And that's a different dimension to the character. So, I think what's happening is that people who were watching the old show, uh, certainly like you, they recognize my voice right away, but it hasn't dissuaded them. They haven't said, oh God, you know, I mean, there are still people who say, well, you'll always be Raphael. And I totally love that. And I, I, I um, accept that compliment in the spirit in which it's given. And I'm very flattered. But I think that the show wouldn't be successful unless all of us were doing a good job. And I don't mean just, you know, the actors, I mean, everybody. Um, you know, you know, having been involved with things online, people are not afraid to tell you if they hate something. Oof, the internet is a terrifying place. <laughs> they are, it's, they are absolutely unafraid because it's completely anonymous. You know, they can, they can bully you online and, or tell you something sucks or whatever and not have a reason for it. It doesn't matter. And, and they have the right to do that, but it's not, it's mainly because there's, there's no accountability. Nobody has to, you can just type in a message saying, this is the worst fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. These people should all die and go to hell. You know, and they, and people do that and it's disgusting, but they do. The, tr the fact is with respect to turtles, that doesn't happen very much. And certainly ha I haven't really read anybody saying, oh my God, Rob Paulson, are you kidding me? That old hack? What is he doing on Ninja Turtles? Um, quite the opposite. They're going, oh my God, I dig Donnie. And, and Donnie is different than Raphael. And Sean does a great Raphael. He's fantastic. And they're willing to suspend their disbelief and they're not disappointed. So I feel that I'm doing my job and I didn't really have to change the tone of my voice. I created a different reality for Donatello. I created a, a, a character that has a different kind of relationship with the turtles than I did as Raphael. That's my job. And that's why after three or four callbacks, the producers hired me. They felt I had the chops and I can say, you know, now at the risk of sounding arrogant that I think, I think it's working. I think I'm doing my job. So it, it isn't, it wasn't about being conscious of changing my voice. It was more about really diving into, um, creating the character that has a relationship that's appropriate with the turtles in the context of the show, and then letting people determine whether or not it worked for them. And it looks like it has. So I think it's just the bottom line is that we're all good at what we do. Uh, and so if I were too worried, I mean, I was obviously, as I said earlier in our, our chat, I was concerned about the tone of my voice. And then it occurred to me that, look, that's not my job to be concerned about that. You be concerned about doing a really good job at what you do and trust the people who hire you. If they hire you, then that's, then you go on and you, and you let the chips fall where they may. And, um, people will or will or will not like the show based on its own merits, not whether or not you've done Raphael or Donatello, because the people who hired you were very aware of that. So I um, was fortunate that I was able to get out of my own way and not worry about the voice thing. In fact, as I said, it's, it's been more of people saying, oh my God, I recognize this guy from the thing. And they do a little research like your husband did on the phone and they go, that's the, that's the original guy. I'm going to watch this. This is the weirdest thing. It's so cool to hear the guy that was Raphael is now Donatello and I buy it. And I dig this new show and I dig the old one. And it's kind of a cool link to the past that they've got Rob on it. He still sounds young. And when I meet him, he's, 
you know, willing to do the voice and all that stuff. So it's a very unique and really cool circumstance that I'm involved in. And I want to, I want to take it to the highest possible level I can in terms of personal appearances and uh, traditional work in the studio. So I really appreciate you for helping me to do that. Oh, please. The pleasure has been all mine, I can tell you. <laughs> At the risk of sounding massively fangirly again, Donatello's always been my favourite turtle. I think mostly because when I was a kid, as I said, I got bullied a lot for being a bit of a nerd. So it's like, that guy's a nerd. He's really cool. And a ninja. What do you know about nerds? And the fact that he still is my favourite, I think, is a testament to the job that you're doing. Well, thank you, sweetie. That Honestly, uh, that, that is high praise coming from someone like you. And it doesn't. it, it, it is incredibly humbling. I am really flattered that you took so much time out of your day to talk to me and uh uh i hope we can do it again only next time in person and i would love to meet your husband and love to meet your sister and love to meet all your friends and go out go out and get bloody bloody (laughs) absolutely bloody plastic i tell you what there's a cocktail bar in birmingham uh that's all i'm just gonna leave that there i'm just gonna put that on the table for you Over there, we'll go and get Pinky all lifted up and have say all sorts of funny things. No, bring yourself all day long between vomiting on the floor, you know. Do you know, I was just going to say, do you find yourself, like, as a man who drinks, because I've got a friend who is German, and she speaks English as a second language, and when she gets drunk, she reverts to German, so we haven't got a bloody clue what she's on about. Do you you ever find yourself talking in nonsensical voices? (laughs) I do it all the time because, you know, I'm just a little bit odd, but it's fun for me. Um, uh, But, oh, yeah, when I've had a couple of drinky poos, and what's interesting is that I I can chat, you know, I can talk like Yakko all day long. I don't need a script. I can do anything. I can brush my teeth. I can pick my nose. I can drive the car. I can feed the dog. I can clean up the dog poop all day long as Yakko. And, um, you know, yeah, you have a couple of vodka and cranberries, and all of a sudden you're going, United States, Canada, Mexico, Jamaica, Peru. Um... And then we have a whole new version of Yakko, um, but it's quite great. I'm telling you what, I, I really hope someday when everybody's dead and gone that somebody gets a copy of the outtakes uh, of Animaniacs because of that that 100 episodes and another 100 of Pinky and the Brain. Let me tell you, there were some deep blue outtakes. <laughs> so hysterical. I mean, really side-splittingly so. Um but yeah, I do, and 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 all of us do. Maurice, oh God, I I can't, he, I can't wait. To, I'm gonna have dinner with him tonight up in San Francisco, and I can't wait to see him because he's such an incredibly funny guy, and so gifted. And so you know, he goes into the brain and Orson Welles and all Kip Croker and and uh, uh, you know Calculon and all the stuff he does on 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 Futurama, and it just makes me crazy. Just brilliant and. I mean, I get to hang, I'm a fan of all of these people. So I get to hang out with people that I would choose to spend my free time with anyway, right? So you're talking to a a lottery winner here. I'm an incredibly fortunate man for many reasons, and not the least of which is that there are nice people like you that want to talk to me. And um, I honestly, uh, um, uh, I know I've said it, but I can't say it enough. I really am so flattered that you would take the time and, uh, and, and all of your listeners uh, thank you so much for not only keeping me gainfully employed, but really more and, and over and above that for finding something about what all of us do that that makes your life better. And um, 
And for that, I'm eternally grateful. And I, I promise you that I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep trying ways to trying to find ways to make you laugh and smile. And I can't think of a of a better way to spend my time on this rock. So thank you. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been an absolute honor to have you on the show. Thank you for saying yes and for taking the time to, to talk to me, because honestly, it, it, I, I won't start gushing again. That would be terrible. But you are you are amazing. And um, I am stupidly excited to put I'm probably going to edit this tonight and put it out tomorrow if I can. <laughs> Please let me know. And um, we're friends on Twitter and I'll be happy to retweet it and do anything we can because I'm always, uh, you know, it, it, it just it's it just like you said, spreading the nerd love. And you never know when somebody listens to it says, hey. I'm putting together this function and I'll call Stacy and we'll get Rob over here and one thing leads to another and and that's what you know I'm all about doing this in person um, because uh, it is it is mutually beneficial for everybody. I get more out of a kick out of it than the people and everybody leaves with a smile on their face. So the only way to do that is to you know we can do it. it, it it's always great to listen. It's always great to watch, but there's something about doing it in person that is beneficial to both sides of the issue. And it really just, it's just takes, you know, it takes time to put it into place, but I think we can do it. So, um, we'll figure it out kiddo. And, um, thank you very much. And a very happy nerve to you. <laughs> I tell you what, you will have made so many of my friends so happy just with that one word. <laughs> thank you, sweetie. Well, I'll tell you what, as a closing shot, then you have to come up with a, uh, a non sequitorial pinky response that is a fresh one that we can use for your show so <clears throat> pinky are you pondering what i'm pondering well i think so stacy but if susan b anthony and ann b davis then who be arthur <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, that one makes me laugh especially hard because i'm a really huge fan of deadpool and he's a really huge fan of beer <laughs> there you go well, and, and I'm one of my dearest friends is Nolan North, who's Deadpool. So oh my gosh, that game! I was creasing listening to his because he sort of had to do three different Deadpool voices in that game, and they were all so spot on. Oh. He's ridiculous. Next time you see him, give him a hug from me because he is that guy. Him. Yeah, you would love him. And can I just say to you? I mean, you're a very attractive young lady, and then all your all your beautiful girlfriends out there, Nolan North is a hot guy i mean i've been with him in social situations and the women just they just fall all over him because he's a really handsome guy so just so you know deadpool is he's um he's quite a hottie <laughs> apparently not that i mean not for my gender you understand but uh, so i'm told <laughs> Oh dear. Oh, I think I'm going to have to let you go now because I honestly could keep you doing this all day, I think. Well, thank you, sweetie. It's been a pleasure. And please give my best to your husband and your sister and uh, keep smiling and let me know what's going on. And one of these days we'll get a chance to meet in person. Thank you so much for having me on and thank you to all your listeners. Oh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. It's been so great. My pleasure, sweetie. Have a good weekend. And you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. You can hear in the alley by the light switch Who watches over you Make a little birdhouse in your soul Not to put too fine a point on it Say I'm the only bee in your bonnet Make a little birdhouse in your soul How crazy was that? I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs>
like I can't I, I literally cannot thank him enough for being so kind and funny and putting up with my fangirl craziness <laughs> I, I will freely admit that I was feeling a little bit sick beforehand because um, as I said at the top of the show he has done voices of so many characters that I've just absolutely adored and you know the t- anybody who knows me even slightly knows what a ludicrous Turtles fan I am I actually think I did quite well at not coming across like a crazy person because I, I am a bit crazy when it comes to the Turtles but he oh god like that was so brilliant and um, literally it has now become my 2014 mission to get him to the UK you know p- partly so I can meet him at a con but if I can then get him drunk afterwards that sounds even better um, so that's my new my new New Year's resolution for uh, for 2014 because um, the one I originally made about fitting back into these Dorothy Perkins size 16 shorts uh, has already been achieved and it's only the uh, the what the 25th of January so we'll scrap that one and we'll put a new one get Rob Paulson to the UK if you like what you heard, you should definitely go and check out his podcast. It's called Talking Tunes. Um, I didn't get a chance to actually properly uh, ask him about it, really, and I, I would have liked for him to have pimped it himself, but um, hopefully I'll do a good job in convincing you to listen to it. Basically, he gets other voice artists onto the show with him, and they talk about their experiences, um, how they got into um, voice acting. They give advice to aspiring actors and voice actors, um, as well as just brilliantly funny anecdotes. And a lot of the time it devolves into just random noise making, which I I really enjoy. <laughs> I have, there's been a few times when I've had to turn that show off when I've been on the bus because I've been snorting with laughter and people have you know, thought I was having some sort of seizure. Um, so go and check that out. That's called Talking Tunes. And um, obviously the... Uh, the second half of series two of the uh, the new Turtles show is coming back on in February. If you're not already watching that, the fuck's wrong with you? It's amazing. Do it. Do it now. Go and catch up so then in February when it comes back on, you can get on that shit. And, um... Yeah, if you would like to send your comments on the episode or or, uh, or follow me or anything, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at StaceBobT. Um, or you can send an email to StacysParlor at gmail.com. Um, I'm still always looking out for guest hosts to uh, review things and stuff. So if you ever want to come on the show and just talk about nerdy stuff, please feel free to drop me an email. Again, that's StacysParlor, S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-P-A-R-L-O-U-R at gmail.com. Um, you can tell I'm British because I spell parlour the proper way with a U. And uh, yep, that was uh, that was it for this special bonus episode. And I will see you in February for the uh, for the big big second birthday party, which I will definitely have cake. Ta-ra!